Hey friends, and welcome to You Deserve to Love Your Job with me, Arlene Pace Green. My goal is to help you identify and achieve your greatest aspirations and have a lot of fun along the way. I'm so glad you've joined me on this journey. Let's go. I am so excited to let you know that the You Deserve to Love Your Job book is available. It's in paperback and Kindle. I wrote the book for anyone who is looking for more purpose, more meaning, and more joy in your work and life. Filled with examples, quizzes, and experiences from real people, including me, and the book lays out a roadmap to help you clarify your purpose and create an action plan to achieve it. Go get it. It's available on Amazon. joining the podcast. Today, you'll get a chance to see and hear a conversation I had with Millicent Dixon. Millicent, or Millie as she's known to her friends, has lived and worked outside of the U.S. for over two decades and has a wealth of experiences and perspective to share. She's also my day one bestie and just an amazing person. Millicent Dixon is an educator in Wiesbaden, Germany. Ms. Dixon has two master's degrees in audiology and elementary education, and she is a lifelong learner. She's currently teaching middle school age children, and in that role, she mentors and teaches students to match their interest and skills with a career field and college path. Don't we wish we all had that in middle school? <laughs> Ms. Dixon helps manage all aspects of her school's college preparatory program, including data collection, staff development, and program facilitation. Millie also teaches strategic literacy and facilitates groups in divergent thinking, leadership, and host nation school partnerships. Millie has also helped create and facilitate staff development in culturally relevant teaching methods, which has supported elementary and secondary teachers across Europe. Millicent's varied background in assistive technology, audiology, hearing conservation, and educational leadership provided the perfect foundation for a teacher leader. Millie is also a Creative Memories business owner. Creative Memories is a company that provides inspiration and supplies for scrapbooking, which is perfect in that it allows Millie and all those she serves to capture the special memories and experiences that, that they have. And we'll put that link in the show notes. So in this episode, Millie shares what it's really like to live and work in a different country. Some differences in parenting approach, work policies, and just some strategies we can all take if we're interested in living and working in a different country. And you'll also feel her passion, her courage, her commitment, her love of life and other people, and her commitment just to broad life experiences. It's one of my favorite qualities about her. And we have a link to her Creative Memories business in the show notes. So thank you all so much for joining and enjoy. Thank you all so much for joining today and welcome to today's episode. I'm excited you get to hear from Millicent. Should I call you Millicent or Millie, actually? Let's just go with Millie. I think it's a little bit easier to fall off the tongue. <laughs> yeah, okay. 13th Millie. century, Millicent was really good, but let's stick with Millie. Millie for today. Okay. Yeah. So transparency, Millie and I have been friends since, um, I won't even tell the year, but since we were five. <laughs> I think actually so, four. Four. You're right. Preschool. Four or five. Yeah. From four. Yes. So we both grew up in Virginia um, in a military city where military brats had parents who were in the military. We were two of the very few African-American like students in our classes or even kids in our neighborhood. I think for a while it was literally just us 
just the two of us. So our families connected, we became great friends. And then since then, I was thinking about this. We went to preschool, elementary school, partly because I went to, I changed schools, not middle school, right? Not middle school, but then high school and undergraduate. And so I've just been friends for literally since preschool. So I'm excited about this because Millie is also one of the few people I know who has actually lived and worked internationally for a very long time. And I was telling you this, Millie, I get lots of questions from people about doing that, who have an interest in doing it, have thought about doing it, um, or trying to figure out if it's something they really want. So I'm excited we get to talk to you because you've actually done it, which is not something a lot of people can say. So I'm glad you're here. I am glad to be here. Yeah. I guess to start, maybe tell people where you're joining from today. Well, I am in beautiful Wiesbaden, Germany. It's the capital of the state of Hessen, and it is a short little drive from Frankfurt Airport. Okay, yeah. And so so we're in different time zones, so I appreciate you joining it. But before I jump in, I was just going to share a couple stats for everyone. So I was looking up some research, and apparently globally, about 4% of the world's population, says 3.6, live outside of their home country. And for Americans, about 3% live outside of the U.S. in it said 160 different countries, this one study, which is kind of amazing. I think there's only like 193 countries in the world. So we're living everywhere, but it's actually a pretty small percentage of people that actually live outside of their country at any given time, 4% or 3%, some say a little differently. But the other study I thought was interesting is that there's been a huge increase in interest really since COVID. So with COVID, I think a lot of us just rethought our purpose and what we're doing and how we want to live our lives and you know, just figure out what you want to do with the time you have. And so there was this 30% increase in just searches and interest in living outside of whatever country people were currently living in. And so the last thing I thought was interesting about where people want to go. So you have a lot of experience in, in a couple of these, but for Americans, when they talk about living outside the U.S., the top countries are Mexico, Canada, Germany, and Japan. That seems oh. very, I know you, that's why I said you have experience in several and for Europeans looking to move, Germany is like one of the number one places they're considering. So Germany's on kind of both the lists for everyone, which is interesting since that's where you are. So just a context and I'll share a little bit as we kind of move through a few more stats, but maybe just start by sharing how long have you lived outside of the U.S. and just where have you lived? So pretty much since 1999, except for a short stint in Maryland, a couple of years there, I have lived outside of America. And I really actually had to print out my resume and figure out the years. It just like seems forever, you know, but yeah, 22 years-ish, so maybe 20-ish um, actually outside of the country. But yeah, pretty much uh, almost half of my my current life. Yeah, that that's amazing. And then tell us like the places you've lived, because you've lived some pretty interesting places as well. Yeah. So growing up as a child, I lived in Germany. So we moved from America to Germany when I was a baby. And then we moved to Virginia so we could be united. Then um, as an adult, I used to visit my sister a lot on vacation overseas, which is really nice. She was in the military. So I got to go visit her in Germany and in Belgium and kind of have a little bit more of an international experience. Um, But then for me personally, my first move was um, after I was in the military. And while I was in the military, I volunteered to go to Korea. And guess where I stayed? 
in Texas. So I, who knew you could volunteer to go to Korea and not get the position? Yeah, that would be me. But when I got out of the military and actually had control of my own life, I just said, well, you know, where do I, you know, where can I apply for jobs? I looked in professional journals. I applied for jobs in Chicago and Texas, all over the place. And I just said, hey, why don't I just apply for this job in Saudi Arabia? The pay was really good. I mean, you know, it, it might be interesting. So I moved to Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, and I worked at a speech and hearing center there in a pediatric audiology, which is really not my area of expertise. I really um, was more into hearing conservation and working with adults. But I did work with kids and, you know, I worked with a lot of them when I moved there. Um, it was a great experience. I got to work with a deaf school and, you know, I had an interpreter and she and I actually look like sisters and people are always like, are you guys sisters? I was like, I don't speak Arabic. So no, but, but it was a great experience. People invited me into their homes. I got to learn a lot about the Muslim culture that I really grown up in Virginia and knew nothing about. And just found out what a great country Saudi Arabia is and what it has to offer. If you like to snorkel and dive and you like warm weather, it's a good place to be. That is so interesting because I, I think of all, just the idea that your first move, you had traveled internationally, but your first move outside of the country was Saudi Arabia. Because I'm sure for most people, maybe a lot of people, it would feel so different like that. Like, you know, some yeah. of us can kind of wrap Mexico, our mind around maybe. London, <laughs> Canada, <laughs> Mexico, like somewhere either close or, you know, same language, culture kind of a thing. But Saudi Arabia, that's, um, yeah. yeah, that's different really impressive. culture, different religion, very restrictive. Um, but we do, the expats manage to have a lot of fun there. So uh, don't let the, don't let the hype, you know, scare you off of Saudi Arabia. You as a Westerner can still have a good time there. It was a wonderful place to be. So that was the first place I lived. Um, then after I worked there, shortly before 9-11, I moved back to Maryland, not because I knew 9-11 was happening. It just happened to work that way. And, you know, I was actually living in a building made by the Bin Laden family. And hmm. so it was just kind of weird and ironic wow. when the whole thing happened. So I moved back to Maryland and I was in the DC area during 9-11. And then I was there for two years. And then after that, I moved to Japan and my ex-husband was actually teaching there. He moved first and I followed him and I quit my job. I went on leave without pay and left my job. Um, that was very scary and very trusting of me. And um, I took a job there. I like was at home for months because I couldn't find a job. And, you know, people would drop by to talk with me about all kinds of things. If they spoke English, I was just super excited. Yeah. <laughs> it was a really hard for me to go from always working to being at home and, and a housewife and no kids and really nothing to do. Um, so it took, you know, when you move to another country with your spouse, it does take a while to find um, employment as like the I guess I was the dependent. So as a dependent, you really, it's harder to find a job. That couple of teaching English a second language jobs came up, but I, you know, I'd been used to making a decent amount of money. And I was just like, I'm going to do all this for this pay. So that wasn't attractive. Then I finally got picked up as a like paraprofessional at the schools uh, that my husband had worked at, or my ex-husband. And that led to me um, finding a teaching position there. And the funny thing is the teaching position was as a hearing impaired teacher, which I don't have a degree in, but I'm an audiologist and I have a teaching degree. And so, pa-pow, I became a hearing <laughs> impaired a teacher. degree, but you're definitely in a related area. Yeah, I mean, teaching, yeah. hearing, pathology, yeah. pathology, audiology, like you've kind of had a 
at least the context for it, I'm guessing. Yeah, I was kind of, it was kind of like taking my two degrees, mending, mending them together and making yeah. a career out of it. And okay. I actually ended up loving it. Um, I had never thought about teaching in special education. Um, it was nice because I didn't go directly to the classroom after being in a clinic and more of an administrative role. So I kind of got to do a little bit of more than what I was used to than just going straight to the classroom, which was good. I did a lot of traveling because I had a large area uh, across Japan where I'd service students that had hearing impairment. And then I did stuff at my local school to support the special ed, um, the special ed program. So that was my next move. And then I decided I wanted to leave Japan. And I, one of my friends that uh, was in Europe that had mentored me when I was in Japan said, I know you're trying to get out of Japan. Why don't you apply for uh, this assistive technology consultant job? You like computers and stuff, right? I was like, oh yeah. So again, I'm applying for another job that really I don't have a degree in, um, but I like computers and I know how to, you know, take a hearing aid apart in five minutes or less so I can do it. So I applied for the job and one of my girlfriends, she was on the interview panel and she's like, months after I met her, she's like, you just knocked your interview out of the park. Everybody was so impressed and I'm, you know, interviewing for something I'm really not so qualified for, but you know, I, I got good people skills. So I ended up getting that position. And uh, one of my colleagues that actually had that position um, was not very happy that I got it, but I was happy for me. It was what I needed at the time. I needed a change. I needed something new. And my new boss was such a great mentor. She really, um, you know, taught me things that I needed to know. And I did a lot of things that weren't assistive technology that were just general management and support and um, training. Mm-hmm. I did some things that were assistive technology that were fun and interesting, and I learned a lot. And I did that for a few years. And then we had some management changes, and I thought they were going to, I was going to have to reapply for my job. I said, hmm, do I really want to do that? And I had been taking classes um, in special education, so I decided to apply for a school level position. So this is kind of like five years into my new teaching career, and I'm actually going to teach now. Right. <laughs> like I'm actually going to have a class, and like I'm going to teach these kids something. And when you moved to the role in Europe, that's when you went to Wiesbaden, like as yes, that yes, was the yeah. beginning of your career in Germany, right? Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, but I wasn't in a classroom. I was doing administrative stuff and and technology stuff and visiting teachers and making suggestions on how to teach and that kind of thing. Okay. Um, so then, when there was a big shift in management, I um, had applied for a school level job and got it and um, have been here ever since. So I I can't believe I've been here so long. I cannot believe I've been in the same school. And I think it's interesting. A lot of the roles that you took, you know, like you said, it wasn't something that it's not like that's what you've gone to school for, or that's exactly what you've done before. So there's a bit of a, and I've always known this about you anyway, there's a bit of a risk taking, like, I'll try it. Like, (laughs) you know, like a bit a willingness to just be like, you know what, I'll put myself out there. I'm not going to focus on what I don't have. I'm going to focus on what I do have. And then, you know, let the chips fall where they may a little bit. And I know sometimes women, like I've talked to people applying for jobs and they're like, well, I don't want to apply for that because it says I need six years of experience and I only have three. It's like, you know, why not? (laughs) You get an opportunity. Yeah. And my feeling is like, even now where I actually really know what I'm doing and I'm actually really qualified, I'm not a genius. I always can learn something from someone. So as long as you don't, you know, you're not judgmental and mean, you know, I'm open to learning and trying new things. And especially in the field of education, Mm -hmm. if you stop at what you graduated with and that's it, you're done. You've got to keep the kids are changing. 
the you know, the demands of the careers. I mean, I read an article once that said, you know, the careers that the kids that I'm teaching right now have not even been invented yet. Mm. So I need to teach these kids to know how to learn and what they need to do to know how to learn and to be productive. The the actual information that I'm teaching them that might not serve them. It's how to learn and how mm-hmm. to be able to create yourself. So. I, you know, I am always open and I'm just, you know, I just enjoy it. And as I think as long as you're upfront with your supervisor and you work hard and you um, do what you need to do, you'll yeah. always be successful. And worst case scenario, I flew to Europe. I had a couple year contract. I enjoyed myself. I might've learned that maybe this wasn't the right job field for me. And I'll start a little and reinvent myself. I mean, it's not a big deal. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that that freedom, I'm telling you, that's one of my that's one of my favorite qualities about you. This freedom and just belief. And you're right, that's true. We can start over, we can reinvent ourselves, we can do different things, we can move. Sometimes we just don't not ever it's hard for some people to believe it, but you absolutely can. And you're a great example of that. So what I know you traveled internationally before, and I forgot now that you're saying that, I'm remembering some of your trips to. Belgium with your sister, just I'm remembering some of that, but what led you to want to live outside the country or, or even what led you to stay outside the country? Like, I'm curious what made you make that decision and then what made you kind of sustain it? I think part of that, like you think about us growing up in Hampton, Virginia, that constant military every four years, people changing and shifting. And I think living overseas as a young person And just, you know, I like the modern English when I was in the 80s and looking at Europe and the graffiti, it all just seemed so interesting and exciting and like what I wanted to do. And I always was like, why should I wait till I retire to do all these things? I want to do them now. Probably when I'm retired, I'm like, I'm just going to sit on the street and I'm not going anywhere. Right, exactly. (laughs) I mean, so I really, you know, and my mom, when, you know, my mom's getting ready to turn 90 this year. And she is, yes, Vivian Dixon is going to be 90. Oh, happy birthday. Happy early birthday. Yes. But, you know, guess who's flying to Europe this summer or fall? We haven't quite decided yet. You know, I mean, she's kind of like, I just want to go to the place I like to eat and get a big beer. I don't need to travel anymore. But she, I mean, I think it's just part of our family's kind of ethos. That's just who we are, especially uh, my sister, Anita, and I, we are probably the biggest travelers of the four sisters Mm -hmm. and my our other sisters will always come and visit and check things out and kind of get the lay of the land but we are probably the biggest travelers yeah yeah I could I could see it about to your point about the military culture and just who you're around because I remember feeling because you know our family traveled a lot like I was I lived a couple years in Turkey and Michigan but that was all when I was really tiny you know so by the time I came to Virginia like your point by four or whatever it was that's where I was until, you know, into graduate school, really. And I remember always feeling like I had missed out. Like I'd see the pictures of them in Thailand and in Germany and, you know, just all these pictures of them all around the world. And I always remember thinking, man, I I really missed something here, which led to me kind of liking to travel globally so much. But yeah, I could get that. It is a little bit and probably your upbringing and just what your family's used to, your family culture, kind of who you're around. So I could see that. Yeah. What helped you to stay outside though? Like you left once, but you kind of, you've basically lived most of your adult life outside the U.S. I'm a teacher now, you know, and I am an audiologist. I mean, in my heart, I'm still an audiologist, but you know, technology has changed a lot. So Mm -hmm. you think about it. If I come back to America, if I want to be an audiologist, I'm going to have to go back for extra school and I'm going to have to really relearn that job. So I'm kind of like my boat has sailed there unless I want to start all over again. 
Mm -hmm. Um, and then I'm a teacher, but where I work, I get paid a fair wage for what I do, which I think all teachers should, you know, I have a family and, you know, I'm looking at college and those types of things. And so budget wise, it just, that would just, that would really be a big, you know, lifestyle changer. I'm not going to be able to retire on time kind of thing. So really looking at that and kids are kids, kids in Germany, kids in America, kids are kids and I can help them all. So that's basically it. It's at this point, I would have to really think about, well, what could I do to provide the life that I want for my child? Mm, Okay. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. You've, you've basically, you've created a life where you are. And so to leave that life now would be similar could be similar to people, you know, getting to a certain age and like being hard to leave wherever you might be, wherever that country is that you basically create a life. Let me tell you, when it's retirement time, I will be fine to go to Portugal or somewhere I can live yeah. cheaper and come to Germany and visit my child when whatever she decides <laughs> to live, wherever yeah. she may be. I mean, I'm not so dedicated. The problem for me is um, my German's not so great. So, you know, until I bite the bullet and become much more fluent in German, there'll always be that barrier. So home doesn't feel as homey. If I were in an English speaking country, I could see me just really, but the German people are lovely. You know, most people can speak English, but still there comes a barrier point, a dinner party where everybody starts speaking German and I'm getting the big picture, but I can't have a debate. I can't talk, you know, I can't talk I can't talk fluently, you know, and so that that is probably the biggest barrier. But maybe when I'm retired, I'll, you know, get better at my Deutsch. We'll see what happens. But, uh, <laughs> okay. Thank God my daughter can speak German because she's my little interpreter because she'll help me, whatever. And she's like, no, mommy, that's not. How you speak. <laughs> I yeah. love that. I love it. Yeah. Our children learn so quickly. She wanted to be part of the podcast, but I told her she would have to come talk with you later. <laughs> Okay, we absolutely need to see her on the podcast before we leave. By the way, if she's still awake, we need to see her on the podcast. Oh no, tomorrow is a German holiday. She is uh, dedicated to fun. Okay, I love that, as she should be at her age. That's what we want all of our babies dedicated to. Absolutely. Um, so it's kind of interesting you said that because I was looking at some of the just research on why people live outside the country, and several things you mentioned are on the list. Like one is just adventure and personal challenge, like wanting to do something different. Another one is quality of life. And so people mentioned cost of living. They also mentioned things around, you know, I worked in a company that had people just around the world. And we always heard about like European vacations and maternity and paternity leave policies and hours work. So I think there's an idea for some in the US that kind of living in Europe might give you a better work-life balance or just better quality of life. It is amazing. When is I it? Have okay. My daughter. When I had my daughter, I had my little American leave, basically no maternity leave, take, you know, take your sick days, spread them out, hope you can pay your bills, you know, that kind of leave. So I had that kind of leave. My husband, who is German, has paternity leave and one parent can take off for up to, I think, five years or something. And they get like 75% of their salary for the first two years. Oh, my stars. I knew it was different. (laughs) I don't know if I knew it was 
that different, honestly. Oh, it's life-changing. And like, if you're an American working at an international school, uh, you will have those same rights, truly. Um, mm-hmm. Things are improving for America. We are seeing, um, you know, companies and, and our government adding on paternity and maternity leave, but I'm not going to go out and have a baby so I can enjoy it or anything. Right. But I'm glad things are changing for other people. But when I had a baby, I didn't have that. But the good thing was my husband could stay at home with our daughter. And then we had that time together when I was scrimping and pushing all my little sick days together to stay mm-hmm. home to be with her. So they are very pro-family. They give, um, you know, families that are residents here money, like, Kindergeld, like I think we, our government did that for a bit of time um, during the pandemic, where it was like kind of like a minimum a lifestyle, you know, life credit. Yeah. People got money depending on their income. Um, pretty much, I don't think there's any income. I'm, I don't think there's any income limits on it. It's just kind of part of what everybody gets. And uh, you know, education, preschool is free. Um, you just have to get on a list to get in. And the people that teach at the preschools have a have a degree in it or some type of specialized training. So you leave your babies at preschool, you're not worried. I mean, if you walk into a German kindergarten, which is kindergarten is what we call preschool. And so it's till um till they're five. So they don't start school until the first grade, till they're five. It is such an open exploratory area. Like as an American, we're going to get those kids to line up and they need to be in the classroom. My daughter had this little piece of paper, little like keychain that she would just say, oh, I'm going to wherever. And she'd hang in on the thing during, during time. She'd be all over the place. I had to go look at the keychain, find out where she was, go see if she's in the gym or outside. I mean, that kind of freedom and exploration, and there's no pressure to read and they're just exploring and they have healthy food that's made in the kitchen that doesn't come out of plastic. I mean, it is amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really cannot say enough about the kindergarten experience here and the pro family. I mean, if you are having children, a lot of Americans don't like all that social support, but it works and yeah. <laughs> it's incredible. And when you're a beneficiary of it and your child is, and you're not, I mean, I sent her to an American um, kinder preschool before I got her to German kindergarten, um, because before three years old, it's kind of hard because most people are off, you know, because they have their oh. time off. So there's just not that much availability. So I was paying like, I don't know, like a thousand dollars of over a thousand dollars. It was crazy. So mm-hmm. I went from that. And then I can't remember if it was free or $200. I mean, it was, it was either free or close to nothing. I mean, it was just amazing. And the quality of the care when I went to the German system was just Mm. Man, I feel like I should have moved like 18 years ago. <laughs> I should have moved. Well, I, have, uh, I have some schools for your daughter, Lauren, to come to. Exactly. Um, so if she wants an international experience, I've got some schools for her to look into that really. Yes. Good I do want well. her to have an international experience. I feel, like just, honestly, I feel like just my international travel and getting a chance to work with global teams just mm-hmm. exposed me to so much more. And I love what you're saying about quality of life. We were even talking just for the audience, we were talking before this about just how free children can feel in Germany specifically and in probably several other European countries as well. But I know more about Germany because Millie and also I had a chance to go to Berlin for a summer in, in high school. And even then, I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, this is so I could ride the U-Bahn wherever I wanted to. I could get on the buses. I could like it just there wasn't this like fear, gripping fear. And it was just kind of expected that, yeah, at that age, like I remember me and um, a cousin of my, my sister's husband at the time was there. 
And I remember we would go to this club like on certain nights, Thursday nights and go hang out till whenever, come back on the Ubon. Like no one even thought about it. And I know you were sharing some experiences of just freedom. Like the kids just growing up, it tends to be a little bit freer than probably what many of us experience in the U.S. Yeah, they have an interesting thing that they do in school. Like when they're finished with elementary school here, the kids have to decide what school they want to go to. There's like four, three different levels, basically, and a fourth level that's kind of like a mix. And so once you decide the kind of school you want to, you have to like uh, put a list and the government figures out which one you're going to go to. So there was a really cool school very close to me that we put on top of our list that my daughter didn't get into. So then I put the school on our street as our second choice. And then I just let my daughter pick her third choice, which was right next to her best friend's school. Well, guess what school my daughter got into? What? None of them. <laughs> oh, oh God! She got into the school next door to her best friend's school. So that school is across the city because I thought she would have gotten oh. school in our neighborhood because I think like an American and some mm-hmm. of my friends said, as long as you're in the neighborhood, you should get into the school. Right. But the popularity with that school was out the rocket. So I had to um, send my daughter and I have to be at school at eight o'clock and my daughter has to be at school at eight o'clock and I can't drive across the city. So my daughter, 11 years old, rides the city bus across um, town every day. She can ride an e-bus, which is an education bus on the way to school, but the way home it is just regular buses so hmm. she can um exchange buses get across and she's 11 and i mean i know adults american adults that can't get around as good as she does and that's kind of cultural right really that like that's not something just you're doing that's like common. the whole city every i mean we got we have you know kindergarten we're well, not kindergarten first graders riding buses kindergartners walk into the grocery store by themselves hmm. i mean so you know it's it's not that uncommon and you know, German people are so lovely about child raising, you know, like when I had a baby and I didn't have enough, you know, blanket on her, they'll be like, excuse me, you need to put a blanket on that child. I mean, it is more of a, you sense the sense of community that people are always looking out for kids. And if you're not raising your kid right, they will let you know. And um, <laughs> I appreciate that because I know if my kid is lost somewhere, somebody's going to tell her how to get to where she needs to go. Yeah. But poor Sophia, she's gotten let off because the bus was out of service or there was a traffic jam and they just kicked out the bus. She has a cell phone, but she doesn't quite understand how to use Google Maps. So she figured out how to get there and, you know, life lesson. So, yeah, it kind of reminds me of when we were kids and we just go on our bikes and ride on the fields. No one cared where we were until the street lights came on. It's not quite that way there, but they have that freedom that when we're in the States, I'm like, "Uh, you need to be by your mother and I need to know where you are and I need to see you and don't talk to anybody. Right. Um, so, you know, she knows that when we leave this country, that the rules do change and yeah. it is what it is, you know, mm-hmm. you have to do it. You have to, based on your environment, you have to do what you have to do to keep your, yeah. your children safe based on that. But I think that's, I mean, so it sounds like one of the things that some people are moving for quality of life, the life for their children, just different experiences has been your reality. It has been. And people are so nice. And it's not just German people here anymore. It's very international. Like I am with this Kenyan, other African country groups of people and just international people. We go like when we all get together, some people are speaking French, some people are speaking English, some people are speaking Swahili, but the food is good and we have a good time, you know? And so just kind of being tied up with that international group of people has been so rewarding. I have an Ethiopian friend. She'll have me over and do the the Ethiopian coffee ceremony. And, Mm. you know, it's just those kinds of experiences are just super unique. And there's a fest for anything. I there's going to be like a a fest for uh, left-handed people or something, you know, um, 
without COVID, there's always something to do here. And things are starting to pick back up again, which is so lovely. But the people in Europe really know how to enjoy life. And they have a lot more holiday than we do. And they use it, you know. Mm. Oh, I, I do remember that from like just working in companies that had global teams, like you kind of knew, okay, if you want to do something July and August, not good if you need the European team to help you out because they're, they're holiday, that's like their holiday time. And they may not, you know, when they take holiday, it's not like some yeah. of us where we think we're going to sneak out for two days and get back. Like they're gone for two weeks, three weeks, whatever, you know, whatever it might be. What are you talking yeah, about? A month. And yeah. I was like... So we all learned from that. I, I think on the, one of the global teams I was on, we all started taking longer vacations. We're like, yeah, that's smart. Why are we trying to, you know, piecemeal our days, one or two exactly. days at a time? A day here. Yeah. So there's a lot to, I could see a lot of quality of life lessons to be learned. And I feel like some companies are trying to bring some of that over, but it's, you know, it's a culture. And so to get the it full is. experience, I'm sure living there is very different than, you know, maybe some of the pieces that we're experiencing when you live here. So what would you recommend? Like if someone says they wanted to live outside the country, live in a different country, like what would you, just general advice, what would you advise people if they're thinking about it? I think the first thing you have to open up your mind to the fact that you can do it and you can always come back. So be open to whatever opportunity comes to you. First, what is what are you passionate about? Is it what you're doing right now? If it is, look in your professional journals, ask your colleagues, look for, um, you know, like when I was an, a, an audiologist, look for what audiology associations there are in the Middle East. You know, look for those things that kind of help you. Word of mouth. Be open to doing something different. If you really want to go overseas, you can teach English just about any country in the world. If you just want to go get the flavor for a country, if you can afford it and you don't have a family, especially, go teach English. Do there's a I think they used to have a jet program where you could go to Japan and you could teach uh, for the American government. You could teach um, you could teach English. There are all kinds of companies looking for native English speakers always. Um, if you're in corporate America, most corporations have international business and they need people in different countries. Uh, when I was in, living in Japan, I met so many you know, business people from Tachiba to all the hoods of different companies that were living and working overseas. So looking, look within your company that you're working at. Are there some international opportunities? Maybe you have to take a little bit of a pay cut, but probably your benefits when you're over there will outweigh the pay cut and the experience. Um, don't be attached to your things. I put stuff in storage that my company paid for, but like a few years ago, I just said, bring all that stuff. And I just threw it all out. I mean, it was stuff from my mom's house that I like furnished my first house with just things like, don't be stuck on what you have because the experience will outweigh your things and you can always replace your things. So, you know, I've worked, when I worked in Saudi Arabia, I could bring like, I don't know, 300 pounds of stuff over. They gave me a furnished apartment. So um, I put a lot of stuff in storage. That was a waste of money. Should have just gotten rid of it all and donated it and called it a day. Just don't be caught up in your things and think more about the experience. Look at the American government. The American government has lots of opportunities for people in different areas to work overseas. And again, don't be so focused on the pay and looking at what opportunities are out there. Because once you get into an organization, you can move up. Um, it's hard to come into an organization you've not worked for and be at the top rung. So that will be harder, just depending on your experiences and what you've done. But I'm really more about the experience than the pay. But now that I've got a little older and I have a family, I know I can't live for nothing anymore. But the younger you are, <laughs> the easier it is. And if you save well and you're getting towards the ending of your career, you know, do I have, do I want to work, you know, I want to retire from this job and then go take another job for 10 years or five years for the experience. 
One of my colleagues that had um, lived in Turkey for years, and when I was living in Japan, he was getting ready to retire. He just came over for a year contract, got to travel over Japan, had all the support from that job, and got to see a new place. So think about well, what's your plan? Do I do this thing that I want to make a lifetime career? Is this something that I want to just take a pause in what I'm doing and have a new experience? And know that nothing's permanent. Mm. Nothing is permanent. You can always go home. But if you're going to go home, give it a try. Sometimes the first three months might be a little bit miserable. My feeling is there are no boring places to live. They're boring people. It's what you make of it. I lived <laughs> in El Paso, Texas. I had a blast. People look at El Paso, say, oh, it's hot and dry and miserable. I had a blast. So yeah. there are no boring places to live. They're boring people. You have to make the best of it. You really yeah. do. Just open yourself. And with the internet, you can find jobs all over the place. There are some places where you can get headhunters. I've never had to use anything like that. I've always just kind of found what I wanted on my own. Professional organizations, talking to people that do what you do in different places, making those connections, networking. You know, I'm on LinkedIn. I always get like little beeps about different jobs. I'm not looking for a job. I'm happy in mine, but they're out there, you know? So just be open and just look in every area. Oh, that's such good advice. I mean, just the fact of one that it's possible, like you just listed probably 10 strategies that people could use to try to find, you know, opportunities that are available, try to match it to whatever your needs are. And just the idea that it doesn't have to be permanent. It might just be something you try for a year or two. Um, When you said the English speaking, I was thinking about that because I looked at something that said maybe a quarter of the, you know, kind of Americans living outside are doing something in education, whether that's education itself, like school, or it's English classes, like teaching people English, but education is like a big part of that. And then another big part of that was like, you're saying the kind of corporate roles that people have. But I mean, just this idea that it is actually possible. There are a lot of avenues you can go through to figure out, you know, how you might get there specifically based on what you're interested in. But yeah, it's possible to do it. Yeah, it is possible. It is possible. And such a rewarding experience. I like to travel by myself a lot. I don't do it as much now than just because I'm married and, you know, I got the kid and all, but I like to travel by myself because I like to meet people and make those connections. And the smaller, like if you're traveling with one other person or by yourself, uh, you will connect and meet people locally. We're doing a Millie Dixon 5.0 cruise this summer at 16 people. We're not going to meet anybody. We're going to have a good time. We're going to look like a whole bunch of foreigners trying to figure it out. But when you're out there by yourself with your backpack, meeting people, Europe's pretty safe. You know, don't be an idiot and walk down some dark alley in the middle of the night. Probably not a good idea in any country. But, um, you know, you can have some really interesting experiences. And when you're living in some little town outside of, you know, Wiesbaden or some other place, you meet local people. We lived out when my daughter was born. My husband likes being out in nature. So we lived out in the sticks um, and we had a beautiful, huge house with a pool. It was great. It was in the sticks. I'm a city girl, but he was staying home with the baby. So I was being a good wife. And we met the coolest people. We went to these really small festivals and, you know, people out there, not all of them spoke German or English. And, you know, we sign language. I spoke my broken German and we had a great life. And I mean, I could have lived out there for years and still enjoy my life. I'm a city person. I like being in the city. So I'm happy to be back, but I did enjoy it. So it's just about, you know, making those connections. So, um, and that's what makes international travel fun. It's like, you know, generally like all over Europe, if I fly, like I flew through Amsterdam the other day and I had breakfast with a friend, 
on a layover just because I know somebody I knew it was a friend of mine from Japan you know I mean you know it's a small world so you just gotta make those connections I love that so so then let me ask this what do you think is the best part and there's probably lots of best parts but what would you describe as the best part of working and living outside kind of your home country the U.S. for you the people meeting the people meeting different people just listening to their stories and having those, just those connections. I think the, the people, the food is really good. I mean, when I'm in the States, I like to get my waffle house and my Chick-fil-A and stuff. But there's <laughs> something to be said about homemade food. Like we, I live in a city, we have like three McDonald's in the whole city, you know? So, you know, if you want fast food, it's going to the donor kebab store and getting yeah. a oh. Some French fries or something. Do you know um, how so, addicted I was to donor kebabs in Germany? Like I literally tried to carry one back on the plane and I was like, it was like an hour in and I was like, okay, this is actually smelling the entire place. <laughs> I got thrown away, but I was addicted to just you yeah. saying it. It's like the glands in my mouth the started to water. Excellent. I probably have enjoyed it way too much. And the people I think are the best yeah. things. And just the opportunity to travel and see different places. Like you know, when we were Girl Scouts, we were happy to go to Camp Skimino from the summer. You know, my daughter went to my chalet and um, had the whole, you know, experience of the Girl Scout, you know, center and everything. Um, you know, so, you know, they go to London, you know, with the Girl Scouts. They'll go, you know, I mean, it's just crazy. They'll go to the Monkey Park in the Netherlands for Girl Scouts. Wow. I mean, you know, it's we were so happy to go to go to Canada and Hershey Park. You thought we won the lottery. Um, <laughs> the experience these kids yes. get to have are amazing. And you know, like I just joined a Volks March Club. I haven't quite hmm. done it yet, but I'm going to do it. Um, and so they travel around. So Volks marching is when you go hiking in the woods, and they have a course. And oftentimes you'll stop along to have snacks and drinks as you're doing it. I also like doing wine walks where you go, like you'll walk a half a mile and there's a wine stand and a band and you walk another Ooh. mile and there's something else. So you'll have to come and do one one summer. Yeah. Um, but Volksmarch is basically some type of walking around in the woods for a course and you can join and be get little like uh, like a little book where you track all your volts marching. So that's going to be uh, my next thing. I just haven't quite. I've had so much going on lately to be able to do it. But uh, you know those kinds of experiences, those things. But you know I do miss things about being home. I flew home for just a week to go to my Camp Chinko reunion, mm-hmm. and um, that you know it, it makes me remember all the things that I am missing out on being here too. So you know it's it. it it's a yin and yang. I'm so happy I'm here, but they're like, they're like, I can see like my life, like what my life would have been like had I not left. You know what I mean? And it is hard, you know, the things that I miss out, like the fact that you hide Lauren from me. Um, (laughs) and those kind of things like my missing out on my, seeing my friends, kids grow up. Like it used to be that when my mom lived in Virginia, I would see all my friends that still lived in Hampton, their kids and stuff. But like you, because you live in all these other places, I don't see as much as, and that was kind of, that's kind of hard, you know? Yeah. But, you know, like you talked about on your other podcast, you just got to show up, you know, you and I intermittently will hit a vacation together or you'll fly in when I'm visiting my sister or, you know, you just make it a point to to do those things, but you do miss out on a lot. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, there's other experiences, but I do see like the things that I didn't miss. So, yeah, I can see that everything's got pluses and minuses. Is that, do you think that's been the most challenging part about living internationally or something else? Is it the kind of family and friends piece or? 
maintaining friendships, family, it's like a given. I'm going to see my family, you know, they're going to, they're going to come hurt me if I don't see them. So that's going to happen. But maintaining friendships while you're raising children and starting your career, like now that things are lightening up a little bit, Sophia's older, it's easier. But when she was really young, I mean, just, there's only so much that you can give. So you have to like really put that laser focus on the things that are really, you know, right in front of you. So that I think is, you know, you only have so many hours in a day and how do you get it all in? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Well, thank you so much for sharing. I think this has been so helpful for people to think about if they want to live in a different place, how you might do it, like what the pluses and minuses of it are. And but before you, before I let you go, I wanted to do, and then also we're going to have to meet Sophia. Well, I've met her. They're going to have to be Sophia, <laughs> but we're going to do a lightning round so that people can just okay. get to know you. So think short answers, whatever's top of mind for you. So first question, what's the most unique job you've had? Unique. I think it was the summers that I worked at Camp Chanko. You know, I'm like the outdoors, but I lived in a chalet every summer and I was a camp counselor to kids. But you know, when I think back at what the best job I ever had, it really was. And when I went to the reunion um, this couple of weeks ago, I think it had to do with, you know, it was religiously based, which was lovely too. And it had to be with the connections, to the people that I was working with. I mean, I like the people I work with. I enjoy them, but you know, those deep relationships that, that you support each other and you enjoy each other's company and you have this mission and you feel like you're doing it, even if you're sweating and there are mosquitoes everywhere, but yeah, being a camp counselor and just a little shout out for Camp Chanko, they're looking for counselors. So if you want the experience of your life, Young yeah, people are it's in Virginia, right? It's in Virginia. It's beautiful. They need counselors. Um, they almost talked me into going while my daughter's there, but I'm not sure if I can go this summer, but yeah. So I have to say the best, that was really the one of the most interesting and the best jobs I ever have. Second would be when I was the uh, camp director at the, uh, at the emotionally impaired camp. That was, uh, yeah, I remember that one. That was, that was, that was challenging. It was hard. I learned a lot. I was scared off of education after that for years. Um, but I learned a lot about people and the kids were lovely, but it was, it was hard. It was heartbreaking. I think Uh, that was, that, that part of it was heart heartbreaking where Camp Jacob was a lot of sunshine and happiness. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I just remember, I feel like I went to Camp Chaco and I've never been to Camp Chaco because <laughs> you all would get together. It wasn't just like the work experience during the summer. You all would get together at other times. Like I'd be there when you all would get together at your house. And just, it was, it was like real deep relationships. Like, was, like we was. love each other. Like we really like each other. We love each other. And just the fact that, gosh, what's it been? X years later, you all are still connecting is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Amazing. And just like it was yesterday, you remember Chuck, my good friend. I mean, yeah. he had me in stitches, just like we were 16 year old and giggling little teenagers, um, you know, and those kind of friendships, they, they just last, they endure time. They endure gaps of not talking. I mean, it's yeah. just, you know, you know, those people that you can always call on if you're down, you could be like, I need your help. And they would be there, you know? And so I think those relationships, and I think that you know, since then I've had great places to work at, but I've not had those deep relationships like that. And you can never, you know, you can never compete or compare with that, you know, yeah. Yeah, even I though I just think the, the connections in Japan, I have to say, were really, I think because you're in a foreign country and it's really foreign, like Germany's kind of foreign. Mm-hmm. Um, the relationships at that, when I lived there were very, very close and tight. And I kind of had that, that real strong bond, which I do. It kind of reminds me of those Chanko days as well. Really? Oh, yeah. You'll, okay. you'll meet some of those people this summer too. Oh, I look forward to that. Yeah. I look forward to that. So, um, I know you spend a lot of time with students and kind of that middle school age range. Um, what piece of advice would you give to parents just in general? Like what's one piece of advice that 
you would give to parents? So when you're thinking about, you know, career and the end game of education is to go out and be a productive member of society. So when you're looking at it, you don't want to start talking about college with your kid their junior year. I teach a class called Advancement via Individual Determination, and it, in some school systems, starts in elementary school all the way through college, and it really prepares students to go into some type of advanced education or some type of career field by talking about college, talking about note-taking, talking about financial aid, how is it possible, especially kids who might not have as much of a background or a college going background in their family, but that you have to explicitly teach those college going skills, note taking, picking courses, volunteering, being a whole person. And then don't just say, I want to go to the University of Tennessee. The first question is, what do you want to do? Great if you want to go to UT, but if you want to be a rocket scientist, they might not have that program there, right? So you really want to focus in on what the child wants to do instead of where they want to go. And that's where you look at those those surveys, where you look at your interests and the things that that interest you. So like my seventh graders, I had them do a career interest um, survey, and then they got some career fields, and then they had to explore different careers. They picked their top five, and then they were down to one, and they researched that, and they talked about what does that person do? What do they make? What, what kind of education do you need for that? And so I'm talking to seventh graders about that, not juniors, seventh graders. And those are the kinds of conversations you want to have. And like with my daughter, we talk about college. What kind of, you know, what kind of money do you typically make when you go to college? What careers give you this kind of lifestyle? What careers are you working 24 hours a day? I mean, I have those conversations with my little fifth grader sometimes about, about, you know, the future and why, why, I want you to study what that skill is going to teach you for the real world, that I don't really care about your grades. I care about the fact that you can get a project done and you can be successful and you can communicate with people. I would highly recommend parents stop crazy monitoring their their kids' grades and think about their learning. Um, Just because a class that a child gets a C in, that might be a good class that they're working hard. Um, Straight A's are not always an indicator of good learning. So, you know, try not to be so grade focused and be learning focused and really think about, you know, what's the end game? Why am I doing what I'm doing? The kids that really work for grades only instead of knowledge um, tend to have a harder time when they get to a higher education. I can see that because it's harder to get them. So if you have everybody has a 4.3 or whatever at your school. So, you know, um, it's not about the grade. You're you're one of many. And did you learn it or did you do it to get the grade and don't remember anything? Mm, So it's the skills, you know? Yeah, that's something we as parents can definitely. That's great advice because it's really easy to get caught up in grades, like specifically grades in middle school. Let your kids get a bad grade and suffer the consequences so they know how to dig themselves out of it. Don't go in there and try to fix everything. Talk to the teacher about what happened. How can they change it? What do they need to do? What skills? And, and look at that. But especially when they're at the middle school level, they, they need to fail. They need to have academic struggle. If they don't have any academic struggle until they get to college, yeah, ooh, that's going to yeah, be, be surprising for them. Yeah. yeah. And they may, maybe they don't know how to approach it. Like, you know, yeah. so yeah, yeah. I can see absolutely. That. Okay. And that's when you're looking at, you know, course selections, you want your kid to take courses that are challenging, not that are always going to be the easy A. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, you know, like I teach at a school that's uh, mostly Americans and a lot of the kids have one German parent. So at middle school, when you want your kid to take a high school level course and they're fluent in German, are you going to put them in German one? 
No, put them in Spanish so they can have yeah. some academic struggle. Okay. Uh, yeah. So that is it. And my, uh, my colleague, the German teacher's like, if you put your daughter in my class, <laughs> I'm gonna go crazy. <laughs> she's gonna be trying to teach me grammar, you know? Um, so That's academic right, struggle teacher. is a good thing. <laughs> That's not right, teacher. Okay. I love it. Okay. So last thing, what's one word of wisdom or piece of advice you live by? Be kinder than you have to. Mm. Yeah. It doesn't cost you anything to be kinder than you have to, even when it's really hard. Okay. Well, thank you. Is there anything else I should let you do any kind of closing comment? If there's anything else, thank you so much for sharing every, all of your experiences and lessons on life. Well, I hope I didn't talk too much. You know, I'm a talker, um, but just put yourself, be open to new experiences. And, you know, even if it's just for a year or two, I really just think for your kids, especially to see what it's like to put themselves out there in another culture. And what really makes me sad is when people do come overseas, but they stay insulated in like a little American bubble or a, a little expat bubble and don't get out there, get out there, meet people. And my daughter going to school really pushed me. Like I had to like make myself speak German and meet people because all the mamas had to keep me in line because they expect you to do stuff with your kids in German school too. So, uh, yeah. so, and they're not necessarily going to speak German, English to you every time. So I really, um, you know, relied on those other people. And when you make those connections, it is just amazing. And I think it really opens up our kids to really have empathy for other people of different cultures. And you could even do that, you know, in your community by seeking out experiences with people that are not like you. And yeah. I think everybody can do that. You don't have to spend money or get on an airplane, but your kid, my kid, everybody's kid needs to understand and have empathy and understanding for people who are not like them. So the more that's that we point. do that, the better our world is going to be. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. I remember doing an exercise in a training where they asked you to kind of identify the nationality, whatever of people like your doctor, your dentist, your, you know, your babysitter, your best friend, like the people you and your family were interacting with. And they were like, if all those people are the same, <laughs> then <laughs> there's an opportunity to really expand yourselves, is. you know, to something different. So I love that. Yeah. You could even do that no matter where you are, no matter where you're living. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you again for joining. Thank you all for joining the podcast. Uh, we look forward to seeing you next time and be well. And yeah. And is Sophia around? <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Hi. How are you doing today? Good. And you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. So, where are you out of school for the summer? Are you in school? What's I'm right now in school, and in four days, I have like I have four days weekend. A four, four day days. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She'll be in school till the ending of July. Oh, so it's just a little mini break, basically. Yes. Yeah. We have a lot of German holidays coming up, so she's lucky. No school. <laughs> no school, no school. Yes, everybody loves that. So what's your favorite thing about Wiesbaden, about being in Germany? Like, I know you get to travel to the U.S. and other places. Like, what's your very favorite thing about being there? My favorite thing is probably my friends. Oh, yeah, you have good friends there? Yes. I love that. Yeah, you say goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> Thank you for joining. If you love this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You're also invited to join my private email group where I share tips, resources, freebies, and ideas to help you love your job and grow your business. Click join the crew in the show notes.